Go to 1 Corinthians, please, the 13th chapter. 1 Corinthians, 13th chapter. We refer to it sometimes as the great love chapter, but that doesn't describe the entire chapter. It's also about growing up, developing and growing up, which is inseparable from developing in love. In 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1, he said, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not love, I'm become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Now let's just stop right here. Is it possible to pray in tongues and it be absolutely in vain? Yes. Is it possible to pray a lot? And it mean nothing. Yes. Now this we need to know. Yes. All prayer is not good. It's good. A lot of times people say, well, I pray a lot. Well, that may be good, it may not be. It depends on what you pray. That's right, amen. And how you pray. Some people's praying is akin to witchcraft. What do you mean, Brother Keith? They're trying to manipulate somebody else's will against their will. They're trying to control somebody. God's not going to do that. But is it possible to pray even in tongues? See, y'all are too quiet on this. Let's read the verse again. Let's read it. Though I speak with tongues of men and of angels, but lacking love, not having love, I'm become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. So is it possible to pray, even pray in tongues, but for all the good it's doing, it might as well be clang, 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 clang. Yeah. Because see, when, you, when you're praying in the Spirit, your spirit is speaking. And that can be more or less anointed by the Holy Spirit. Elsewise, this couldn't be true. If every time you spoke in tongues, it was 100% Holy Spirit, there's no way that could be in vain. Right? But this says, it's possible to speak in the tongues of men and angels, and it be no more good than making a loud clanging noise with a pot or a pan. Verse 2. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, though I have all faith. He's getting close to home now, ain't he? <laughs> so that I could remove mountains, but have not love. I am nothing. Well, God is love. So if there's no love, there's no God. Which would explain why if there's no God in it, it's not worth anything. It's useless. Verse 3. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, that's a martyr, and have not love, it profits me nothing. Is it possible to give and get no benefit from it? 
Is it possible to give a lot? I mean extreme giving. And get absolutely no benefit out of it. Yes. There's more to prospering in God than giving. You might say, did I hear a preacher say that? Yeah, you did. And there's been, a, there's been so much talk about giving. And sometimes not in the right way. Sometimes not with the right motive. But uh, some even preachers have left the impression or maybe they got the idea that if we just shake the people long enough till the money falls out, they'll be blessed in spite of themselves. No, they won't. No, they won't. And you don't want them giving if they're not doing it by faith in love. Come on, are you listening? If you care about them, you don't want them doing it and not getting a return. Not getting a harvest. If you care about them. (laughs) Well, we're what? Five minutes in and and here we are. (laughs) There's more to God's will in prosperity and abundance than giving. There's more to it than that. Just giving alone will not assure that you receive a bunch. In this case, this is an individual, he said, you can give everything you've got. You can't give any more than what you got. And then give your body as an offering on the sacrifice as a martyr. And listen to these other translations. Today's English says, I may give away everything I have and even give up my body to be burned, but if I have no love, this does me no good. The Phillips says it like this, if I dispose of all that I possess, yes, even I give my own body to be burned, but have not love, I achieve precisely nothing. Can't get much more clear. You mean all that giving to the poor accomplished nothing for you? Nothing? Now when we say nothing, that means past this life too. Nothing means nothing. Now look at the very next verse. Because all this goes together. Immediately he begins to, if you believe what he just said, And this is the Holy Spirit speaking. If you believe what he said, immediately you should be shaken to going, I've got to stop doing anything unless it is in love and by faith. If not, you didn't pay attention to what he said. I must not do things as a ritual. I must not plunk something in the bucket just because it's offering time. I must stop that. With God, 
It's always about the heart. Is that right? Always. Men look on the outer appearance. Not God. He sees past everything right down into your insides. He knows your thoughts and your intents. Not just what you said, but what you thought. Not just what you did, but what you intended to do. Oh, all things are open and naked before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. So we must not do anything in what we call the things of God for anybody else to see. And we should continually be checking our heart, checking our heart about what we're doing. Is my heart in it? Am I, you know, am I doing it out of the right motive? Because I love God and I love his people. Right? That's the only acceptable core motive. Love for God and love for his people. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And that's what's going to make your faith work. Right? Our faith operates and functions by that love. And we must not just nod our head and go, amen, thanks for reminding me, Brother Keith. If we don't live with this every day, we wind up with a lot of things that might have looked good on the outside, but they accomplish nothing. And they won't benefit us. I remember I had the privilege of doing some broadcasts with you, Brother Kenneth, some years ago. And during that broadcast, we talked about this. We talked about love. And we both shouted about how that uh, no matter what we do, you keep one hand on love. <laughs> everything you say, everything you do, every plan, you always keep one hand. What am I talking about? You never get away from it. You never turn loose of it. If you've always got a hand on it, you know what I mean by that? Figuratively speaking. Said out loud, I must do it in love. Or it does me no good. And I don't think even a lot of people in our circle, so-called faith and word circles, I don't think a lot of folks even would believe and say it if we didn't approach it this way. That it's possible to give and get no benefit out of it. People would argue with you about that. But did we read scripture or not? Whether it's praying. As important as praying is. Or giving. Either one of them. Can be without any benefit for you at all. Unless you and I do it. In love. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And that's not talking about gushy feelings. It's talking about God. And the Spirit of God is the Spirit of love. And when you're born again, the love of God has been shed abroad in your heart. It's not something you don't have. It's in you. But it must be yielded to. Because you or I can be carnal and selfish and fleshy any day of the week. Is that right? If we just go the wrong direction and yield to the outside instead of yielding to the inside. Put your hands on your 
middle part of your being here. Said out loud, I'm, I'm born again. I'm a child of the living God. And the love of God, God himself, God's love is shed abroad in my heart by the Holy Spirit. I live by this love every day and every night. Hallelujah. That's how I live. And anything, when, you, when we, we live close to God, anything that we do that is contrary to love and the love commandment, it'll grieve you. It'll bother you. And if you'll repent immediately and correct it, you'll stay sensitive. You'll stay close. But if you won't listen, you keep doing it long enough, you'll sear your conscience. And get to where you don't, it doesn't bother you as much anymore. And that's when you're backslid. But we're not going to do that. Now notice the next verse. This, all this goes together. He's, he begins talking about the love. Because if we believe what he just said. Then our, our whole focus ought to be. Tell me about this love. Is that right? Tell me so that I don't pray with no results or I don't give with no results this love suffers long and is kind glory to God kind is like Jesus himself he's love manifested notice this next one love envies not doesn't Envy. Now I didn't intend to focus on this part, but the Lord quickened to me today, camp on it. (laughs) So here we go. Get out the stakes, right? (laughs) Why? Oh, there's answers here. There are so many answers here. Said out loud, love doesn't envy. Listen to Weymouth's translation. It says, love is patient and kind, and love knows neither envy nor jealousy. Love doesn't know it. You have to be selfish to envy. You can't envy in love. (laughs) Impossible. Is envy a deal? Is envy an issue? Don't raise your hand, but have you ever envied? Don't raise your hand, don't raise your hand. Even today, the Lord gave me revelation on this. I had not seen before how core of evil this is and how far back it goes and how serious it is. Will you believe with me for revelation and utterance? You might say, well, do I want to hear about that all week? (laughs) I assure you, you do. Because it is such a giant key. Go to Matthew, the seventh chapter, please. 
Matthew chapter 7 and verse 1. With no love, prayers in vain. With no love, giving's in vain. Do we believe this or not? He said it. And love, among all its other attributes, absolutely doesn't envy. It does not. And in Matthew 7, he said, Jesus says this, judge not, that you be not judged. Now, the word judge means to decide, like a sentence. And you can judge for or against. And he's talking here about judging against, which would be finding guilty. Judging against, finding guilty, and wanting to proclaim sentence against. And what did Jesus say about all that? Do not do it. We haven't taken this seriously enough. Even if you think you know something about it, I'm telling you, we have not taken this seriously enough. Many people, if you were to dare say, oh, you know, don't judge, what would usually be their immediate response? I'm, I'm not judging. I'm just. <laughs> and to hear everybody talk, you would think, well, Jesus, you put it in there for no reason because nobody judges around here. <laughs> so. What's happening is people are judging and calling it something else to justify and to keep doing it. But that's not love. And what's the problem? If you judge, you're going to be judged. Yeah, y'all don't even want to say it, do you? Uh, <laughs> judge not. Is Jesus looking out for us or what? Why, why is he telling us don't judge? So you won't be judged. Can a Christian be judged? You see, there's some folks who say, well, no, not because of grace. Well, then you're saying Jesus' words here don't apply to us. And some folks will even say, yeah, yeah, because, you know, he was in the law. He was teaching the law. Wrong again. No, the law was until John, the scripture says. Jesus didn't preach the law. He was born under the law, but he didn't preach the law. Look at Matthew 5. Not, not right now, but <laughs> y'all are quick. <laughs> Just going through there, he said, the law said such and such, but I say to you, the spirit of it, the, he's introducing the new covenant. No, Jesus' words apply. They're good. For you. Me. Now. No. This is a real thing. Keep reading verse 2. For with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. Not might be. 
not could be, shall be. Which is, he's elaborating on why he told us don't do it. Why? Because if you do it, this not could happen, this is going to happen. What's going to happen? Well, you will be judged. How? By whatever you judged. That's how you will be judged. And with whatever measure you met, it'll be measured to you. How? Well, exactly the way you did it. And that, it doesn't get any more fair than that. Is that right? God is absolutely perfectly just and fair. There is no more fair way to deal with somebody than the way they dealt with somebody else. The way they chose to judge it and measure it. That's how God deals with us. Now don't misunderstand. Thank God for repentance. And mercy. Is that right? Under the new covenant. If you'll judge yourself. Oh somebody should have shouted about that. Even if you have acted like a heathen. Is that right? And just went off on everybody around you. And just judged and cussed people out. And did stupid stuff. Thank God for the blood of the Lamb. You you can run in and fall on your face and go, oh God, forgive me. I judge myself. I had no business judging them. I repent. I ask you to forgive them. I ask you to forgive me. And I receive the mercy and forgiveness and cleansing and righteousness. And it is written. You will not be judged. You won't be. Which means the enemy will not have access to you. No matter what he wants to do. When you repent, here's something I've done for years now. If I repent about something, a lot of times I'll immediately say, therefore, because I'm forgiven and cleansed, I deserve no punishment. None. Why? Jesus was punished in my place. Is that right? I'm just letting the enemy know. Off limits. Off limits. Why? Not because I've been so perfect. But because I did judge myself. And I am forgiven and cleansed. And I won't be judged. Oh but. If you don't repent. And you don't judge yourself. And you just keep doing it. Then whatever you have done with them. Will be applied to you. And Jesus is saying don't, don't do that. Don't, don't let that happen. Let me read some other. In, in the New Living Translation. He says. You'll be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. The Amplified says it like this. Just as you judge and criticize and condemn others, you will be judged and criticized and condemned in accordance with the measure you use to deal out to others 
it will be dealt out again to you. This doesn't just cover a couple of areas. This, this covers everything. Go with me to Romans again, please. Romans 1, the first chapter here, and verse 2. That's not right. Is it 2 1? It's 2 1. Thank you. Put that up. 2 1. Yeah. There, therefore, are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are that judges, for wherein you judge another, you condemn yourself. Did you hear this phrase? When you judge somebody else, what did you just do? You just condemned yourself. These are spiritual laws. Like we've already said, it's not inescapable if you do it. You can repent. Keep that in mind through the whole thing now. All right? But what if you won't repent? Well, it's going to come back to you. And if you try to say, well, no, 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 preacher, Jesus has already paid for all our sins. And so no one can be judged for sins that he paid for. Well, then nobody will be lost ever in the world. And there won't be anybody that ever goes to hell. How does that work? It's not true. That's not what the scripture teaches. Right. No. Yes, the price has been paid. But no, you do not experience the benefits of it unless you receive it. Amen. Unless you believe it and receive it. And so if you won't listen and you won't believe it and you won't receive it and you won't judge yourself, what will happen? You will be judged and you'll be judged not at some random or standard application You'll be judged exactly the way you judge somebody else. When it starts happening, it'll be all too familiar. Because it'll be what you did to somebody else. Unless, unless you repent. God's mercy is so amazing. Have you read the book of Revelation? And it talks about the false prophetess and uh, demoness Jezebel who uh, seduced God's servants and slew and killed and did all these kind of terrible things and, and God is saying through his servant that judgment's going to come on her and everybody that's with her unless she repents wow. and you want to think what? <laughs> what? Jezebel can be saved? <laughs> See, that messes up some people's doctrine, doesn't it? <laughs> Just a little side note, there is nothing in the scripture about the spirit of Jezebel. People have built whole doctrines out of that. Mm-mm. But even Jezebel, no matter how terrible, have you ever read about Manasseh in the word? You talk about an evil dude. Evil. Oh man, you shouldn't even think about some of the things he did. For years and years. And yet, 
when he heard judgment was coming, he fell on his face and cried and repented and God forgave him and told him the judgment wouldn't come in his days. And you're thinking, whoa, whoa God, what? what? This guy needs to be taken out. When your patience is long gone, God's just barely begun. Aren't you glad he's that way? And not just that way with them. He's that way with you. He's that way with me. Is that right? So no matter how terrible it has been, no matter how much judgment you might have hanging over your head in life, if you'll repent. Woo! If, if you'll judge yourself and repent, you won't be judged. Now, you know, how many remember where I'm quoting is in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians, right? If you couldn't be judged as a Christian in the New Covenant, why would that be in the New Testament? Why would you be told if you'll judge yourself? Wouldn't be relevant. Wouldn't be applicable. Is that right? Like so many things, look at the whole word. Rightly divide. Let me read this to you from some other translations. Romans 1, excuse me, it's, it's 2, 1. 2, 1. NIV says, For at whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself. When you judge someone else, the complete Jewish says, you passing judgment against yourself. Phillips says it like this. I think this is pretty good. So, now, if you feel inclined to set yourself up as a judge of those in sin, let me assure you, whoever you are, that you are in no position to do so. This is Philip's translation. For at whatever point you condemn others, you automatically condemn yourself. Is that true or not? When you criticize, find fault. Because remember, people are doing it but calling it something else. The, the first thing we've got to do is get a revelation of what it is. Would you pray that with me out loud? Father God, Father God I believe your word. Reveal to me what judging is. What it looks like. What it sounds like. What it acts like. Reveal it to me so that I may know for myself what judging is and do it no more. I ask it in Jesus' name. Now he'll show you. He'll show me. But when he does, don't resist and go, I, I wasn't judging. A lot of times you just need to go, I was judging and I repent. Because what if you judge yourself? It's over. Won't get judged. But if you judge the moment you do, he said you, you automatically condemn yourself. Now what we read in Matthew, you find other places. Go to Mark, the fourth chapter. I know I'm giving you some extra scripture, but we're laying a foundation tonight. And you're helping me. I don't want to see people sow and give and not get results. Do you? No. Whether it's me or 
He knew I certainly don't want to see my partners. Right? Or our church families. Mm-mm. No, that's not okay. But it's not all up to God. He told us to do something. And we must take it seriously. This judging. Again. The basic word means to decide. To decide or make a decision about. And so it covers so much more than I think what we've thought. Just sitting in church. In Mark, the fourth chapter, verse 23, he said, If any man has ears to hear, let him hear. And very next verse, he said, Take heed what you hear. Why? With what measure you meet. And this is what we get the word meter from, which is measuring. Uh, So many of our words come from this. With what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you. Who determines the measure? I do. Not God. Not other people. This will help you when you understand this. Yes, amen. With what measure you meet, it'll be measured to you and to you that hear. Now, you've got to keep that in context with the measuring. The hearing with measuring. To those that hear, measuring it much, more will be given. Now we're talking about increase. We're talking about being added to. We're talking about coming up. And it began with what? Measuring. How you measure it. Back some years ago, Phyllis and I had been in the ministry about, I don't know, 15 years or so. And uh, at Brother Kenneth Hagin's ministry. And I was so blessed to be there. And I was I, part of my job was monitoring his faith classes. Sitting in. Paying attention. That's part of my job. Taking notes. And part of my job is in healing school. Reviewing all. We had those great big, not the VCR tapes, but back before that. You know, the big TV studio stuff. I would review those and then I'd play them for some of the people and make notes on them. That's my job. And then I get to go to the prayer seminars, Phyllis and I, and the Holy Spirit seminars and, and all these things. And by just a few years, we have heard thousands of the best teaching and preaching on the planet. And one day I just I, I said to the, it dawned on me. There are a lot of people on this planet have never heard one good faith message. Not even one. Now that's a crime. (laughs) That's not okay. But it's the truth. And I thought, Lord, who are Phyllis and, and myself that we have been privy to so much while there are people that uh, hadn't even heard one? I mean, who are we? Just little country people from the deep south that didn't know anything much. And, and we just keep getting, I mean, we're 
we're around some of these people personally. We're, we're in where the Holy Spirit's moving. Where revelation is flowing. And we just keep getting more and more and more. I asked the Lord, I said, why us? And I didn't get an answer that day, but a few days later, he quickened to me some of the very first messages we heard on living by faith. And it was Kenneth Copeland, 1977 and 78. And we, uh, Phyllis and I, got so excited. She's a little Catholic girl. I'm a Pentecostal boy. But we heard that and we sat down in our little mobile home on our genuine imitation leather couch, <laughs> i.e. plastic, and we had a little tape, battery-powered tape recorder about that big, and every day after work we'd come in there and listen to those tapes and take notes after supper until bedtime, and we got so thrilled. We got so excited. And... We uh, didn't didn't realize it then, but God was putting faith in us because he's about to tell us to do something (laughs) that we, we, if we hadn't had faith, we wouldn't even listen to him, you know, but uh, we got so excited, we wanted to share it with our friends, you know, and so we we took some of the precious cassette tapes, you know, and said, hey, man, you got to listen to some of this, and they said, what is that? Is that some new music? No, it's it's preaching. They said, preaching? (laughs) You're listening to preaching? That was an unheard of thing where we were. And the question is, why? Would you, why? And I said, man, this will change your life. I'm telling you, you got to hear this. This will change your life. And they said, I said, hey, look, just, we're friends, right? Yeah, take it, listen to it. A week later, did you listen to it? No, I hadn't got to it yet. Two weeks later, three weeks. What do you What do you mean you ain't got to it yet? You got you need some batteries for your tape player. <laughs> and finally, one of them said, "I listened to part of it, and I just don't know about all that." And what I'm saying is, when I asked the Lord that question, He brought all this back to me in a flash. And then He said, He answered my question. I said, "Why us?" He said, "Because I knew you would value it." Oh, did you hear that? I knew you would value. Why are y'all here tonight? Why is any of us here? Like instead of somewhere else doing something else. We value. Is that right? We value God, his church, his word, his spirit above everything. We will spend and be spent. We'll go all over the world. We'll get up early. We'll stay up late. Is that right? And people look at us and go, what is wrong? What, what are they? What is going on? It's because they don't value it like we do. Let me tell you another way. They didn't measure it. Come on, did you hear that? They didn't measure it the way God helped us to measure it. They measured it as small. They despised it. Now despise doesn't mean what some people think. Some people hear despise, they think almost disgust. No, that's a different word. Despise means to lightly esteem, to treat it 
like it's nothing. Ignoring can be despising. Y'all with me, church? God gives you something precious. You act like he didn't even say anything. That's despising. Treating it like it's nothing. Or measuring it as not important. Measuring, you know. There are people that could and should be in this meeting with us. But there are things came up in their life. And have you found out you set your face to do something the Lord tells you to do? The enemy will try to knock you out of it. Is that right? I mean, you've got to have some gumption, right? You've got to have some determination to, to see it through. And they just didn't value it as important enough to make the effort or the sacrifice. Will that affect their life? Ever how you judge it, ever how you measure it, that's how it will be measured to you. Not more, not less, exactly how in your heart you or I chose to measure it. One of the things I got to do at Brother Hagin's ministry was work in the, uh, the healing school. And uh, he, uh, he said when he was on the bed paralyzed, 15 to 16 years old, 16 years old I guess, nobody would help him. He tried to get preachers come and talk to him about the word and faith and healing and nobody would come and finally the ones that did just discouraged him and he said, I had to stand alone, alone. Well, thank God he wasn't completely alone. The Holy Spirit is that right? helped him out. But because of that, he said he wanted somewhere people could come. And they, they wouldn't have to just try to stand alone. They could be fed, taught faith and that kind of thing. And right after we got there, this would have been in 81, they announced they're going to open a prayer and a healing center. This would have been May of 1982. They built a building. And we're going to have healing classes there every day. And Brother Hagin said, we're going to train divine healing technicians how to be led by the Spirit and minister healing to people. And I'm sitting there on the front row of the service, and I thought, oh, glory to God, what would that be like? I mean, and I looked around, and there were hundreds of people over here, hundreds. I thought, well, okay, nobody knows me. But oh, wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be amazing? And just eight, nine months later, I was one of two selected of the students to be a part of that program. And one thing led to another and led to another. And eventually I was fully involved in it. And years later, in a time of prayer, the Lord pointed out to me, he said, when you turned around and said, I guess everybody would want to be a part of that. He said, you were wrong. Everybody didn't see it the way you did. Everybody didn't think about it the way you do. Then the Bible say, don't cast your pearls. Before swine. What does that mean? Don't give precious holy things to people who don't value them. And you and I need to watch about talking to relatives. 
Talking to neighbors, talking to co-workers, I'm telling you. If people despise what you're saying, in most cases, you need to hush. Now, if God tells you to say something, you say that. But I said, in most cases, if people are not valuing what you're saying, and you need to monitor, look at their eyes, watch their facial expression. Don't just talk like a machine. And you may be surprised that they're looking at you thinking, when will he shut up? (laughs) Don't do that. Because it can actually callous people to these things. And you're not the only one God can use to minister to them. You can tell if somebody's receiving or not. (laughs) Glory to God. There's a lot of situations I'm around people and I, I don't say that much. You might not think so because every time you see me I'm just talking, talking, talking. <laughs> but then there, there are the key, there's places where I won't be there any length of time. Things will start coming up. Things will start coming up. Yeah. Dave's one of them. He's always wanting to drive me to the airport. He said, I can drive you. I can drive you. I can drive you. I won't be in the car five minutes. He won't even say anything. Revelation starts coming up. Revelation starts. Why? He values it. He treasures it. That's why he wants to drive me to the airport. (laughs) And that's not a matter of pulling on a human being. It's just valuing the things of God. Is that right? And when you value them. God gives it to you. And when you value it more, what measure you meet, it'll be measured to you and unto you that hear, add the first part of the verse into it, with measuring, you hear with measuring to it, more will be given to you, but from, for he that has to him shall be given. But he that has not, has not what? Didn't measure it. Didn't value it. Didn't treasure it. He will even lose what he has. See static. uh, Excuse me. Spiritual things are not static. They don't remain static. They're moving one way or the other. Increasing or decreasing. You're you're gaining or you're losing. You you can't just say I'm just going to stay where I am. No that's not how it works. You want to be on the increase. Increase. And like the Lord told me. Step up boy. Step, Step up. So I'm stepping up. I'm going to step up. And you're going to step up. You're going to step up. You're going to step up. I want to hear you say it. I'm stepping up. I'm stepping up. The Lord showed me this. He said, you know what happens when you step up? I said, please tell me. (laughs) He said, it's just like this. When you step up, your vision changes. You see things you didn't see down there. Is that right? And when you step up, your reach increases. Now you can reach things you couldn't reach down there. I don't believe I came up with that. It's so simple though, isn't it? So simple. When you step up, 
you see more. And when you step up, now you can reach more. That was worth you combing your hair and coming, coming to church right there. Go to Luke 6 chapter. Luke 6, this is something we've quoted many times. Verse 36, be merciful as your father is merciful. Now you ought to do it just because he said do it. You ought to do it just because it's right. You ought to do it just because it's good for the other person. But you also ought to do it because that's what you want to reap. Is that right? You fall, you have a problem, you don't want judgment. You want mercy. But according to James, if you have shown no mercy, you'll get judgment without mercy. But while everybody else was throwing stones, you said, no, leave them alone. We've all messed up. Is that right? You prayed for them. Wanted to restore them. Don't want them judged. You want them restored. What good is it going to do for us to see people judged? We, we want them restored. He goes on to say, judge not and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, you'll not be condemned. Forgive and you'll be forgiven. Does it really work like this church? Today. In the New Testament church. Somebody say the words of Jesus are right. The head of the church is right. This is exactly how it works. For everybody. Everywhere. All the time. Verse 38. Give. And it will be given to you. And now again what does he say? Talking about this measure. Measure. Good measure, press down, shake it. Good measure of what? Of what you gave. Men will give to your bosom for with the same measure you meet with all. It shall be measured to you again. The New Living says the amount you give determines the amount you get back. Catholic Version says, the same measure you use to measure out will be used to measure back to you again. Good news says, the measure you use for others is the one God will use for you. And who picked the measure? Every one of us. It's not, God's not picking the measure. And you hear people say, oh, it's all up to God. I've just left all my stuff up to God. No, you didn't. You can't leave up to him what he left to you. He's not going to ignore what he said because you ignored it and do it your way. Not going to happen. The measuring is up to us. Up to us. Phyllis and I left, uh, well, I mentioned to you back in 70 eight or so, we were listening to Brother Copeland's materials. And then Brother Jerry Savelle, and Brother Charles Cabb. And then she said, uh, we got some of these Kenneth Hagin tapes. They said, those are good too. I said, I don't know about that. I, I know these guys. <laughs> and I knew I was young and I didn't. Uh, she said, no, they say that some of these guys listen to him too. And 
I said, okay, and so we did, and oh, wow, oh, wow. <laughs> and that was our connection to eventually become part of the Kenneth Hagin ministry. And uh, Brother Copeland and Miss uh, Gloria came to Jackson, Mississippi. I think it was 1978. Under the street. Under the street. It was down under, <laughs> kind of in the basement type deal, little place. And Phyllis and I had just married, very young. And here we come with our bell bottoms on, <laughs> platform shoes and long hair. It's the 70s, man. It's the 70s. In my Mustang. Bright yellow with black stripes. I could tell you more about it, but thank God you came, sir. Mm. Life changing for us. In that little dark (laughs) underground. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. We had $10 to our name. To our name. And When the offering came, we both felt strongly impressed to sow half of that, $5. But we sowed it in faith. This is something different. Not ritual. Heart. We loved what was going on. We loved what we heard. We loved what it was doing for us. Our head didn't know a fraction of what our heart was so excited about. You ever been there? Our hearts just jumping up and down. Our heads going, what? What? <laughs> and then we took the other $5 and we uh, bought Miss Gloria's little book. It's a tape. It's a tape. On, it's a little brown book. Was it prosperity something, yeah. right? Because we knew, brother, we needed it. And we went back to our little Marriott mobile home that we bought used. For I think it was thirty-two or three hundred dollars, three thousand dollars, and it had issues, as you might imagine. <laughs> and between then, seventy-eight and eighty, God got enough faith in us through these materials and all these things. He dealt with us to go to uh, Rama, excuse me, camp meeting. And while we were there, we took a tour of the school. It was free. And while on the campus, God spoke to us to come. We saw no way how. Because we didn't even leave the Civic Center to eat. We, once a day, we'd buy some of those liquid nachos. (laughs) And just stay, because that's all you could do. And little country people, we got lost going back to the motel almost every night. Every night, Phyllis said. (laughs) Oh, but if we hadn't done that, there would have never been anything to follow. So we came to Ramah. And oh man, as I was standing in line for registration, I thought, well, it's over already because I didn't have enough money for registration. And when I got up to the counter, I found out I only had to pay half today. And we couldn't find a place to live. So we're spending our money on hotel, motel, cheap motel. We finally found a place in the rough part of town. 
But hallelujah, it was furnished. If you want to call it that. But we started growing. And we started learning about tithing, sowing, faith, listening and being led by the Spirit and obeying. And so we believed to get to, uh, what was that apartment we wanted to move? Kenwood Hills. We so wanted to be in an apartment. Now this tells you where we were because a tiny little third floor apartment was what we were believing for. That was our vision. That you had to go down three flights of stairs to wash your clothes. Four basement and people above you people beneath you making all kind of noise but that's we wanted to believe to get to there and we did and then there was a better apartment place building we believed to get to there and then we began to have some increase and we got a little rent house in the older part of town but it's your own house had a garage and a washer and a dryer Hallelujah. Well, we begin to use our faith and believe for things, and eventually we moved to a, a house of our own. And uh, in Broken Arrow, there was a three bedroom, like a 3,500 square foot maybe house. Oh, we were so thrilled. We enjoyed that, but our vision is growing. And we, we felt impressed that we should move closer to the Hagans. Because Mom Hagen was having Phyllis drive her around some. And actually it was a funny deal because I'm a country boy. And I, I wanted to, we've, I found some acreage outside of town. It was like 15 acres and, oh man, thrilled me. And, and, and Mom and her came in one day and, and I showed a, a picture of that. And Mom says, what do you need to be all the way out there for? <laughs> and then I just made it worse. I said, I'm going to get Phyllis some chickens. <laughs> Oh, uh, I, I knew, I knew I was good. She said, Phyllis doesn't need any chickens. You're, <laughs> you're in the ministry. <laughs> I knew, I knew I, I did it on purpose, you know, so. <laughs> so we're believing for a, a, a nicer place. And we drove by this place in South Tulsa, which is not too far from ORU and all that nice part of town. It was on an acre and a half. It went around part of the, you know, whole, what do you call it? Cul-de-sac, whatever, I don't know. But nice, oh man, nice. It wasn't for sale. We had an impression about it. We made an offer. They countered a little bit. We wound up getting that thing for, I don't know, it would be half price almost. And I won't go through all of it, but the, well, the day before we closed, were we talking about that today? George and Terry Pearsons had it on their heart for us to come preach at Eagle Mountain Church on a Wednesday night. We needed $40,000 to finish closing the next day. Had no idea where we would get it. Had never seen that much at one time. Guess what the offering was? On a Wednesday night. $40,000. Makes you want to kiss George and Terry Pearson. <laughs> they were led, man, right? I mean, you got to think about it. leading up to this and all of that that happened. And they didn't keep it for a month. Yeah, they did, Phyllis says they didn't hold on to it for a month. 
You know, scriptures talk about that. When you have it in hand, don't tell somebody, wait, I'll get it to you later. And we needed it literally the next day. So we're so thrilled about this place. What was it, Phil? Was it uh, five, 6,000 square foot, maybe? Five? Acre and a half? Seven car garage? You know it makes the boy happy. Seven car? Because, you, hey, you got to. Phyllis says it was eight. Where'd I come up with seven? Then? I don't know. She doesn't know. Eight. That's right. Eight car garage. Man, master suite was outstanding. Swimming pool, would you call that Olympic size? Huge. It's, it's, big, it's big as two or three swimming pools. Tennis court. Tennis court. Fenced. What was acre and a half or something? In a prime part of town. Right after we got it, I went to a salon where a lady cut my hair. And she's cutting my hair and she said, did you and Phyllis get a new house? I said, yeah. She said, I heard some people talking about it in the salon today. And I thought, and so she decides to tell me what they said. (laughs) Said, did you hear what that Keith and Phyllis Moore got? Yeah. Swimming pool, tennis court, all those car garages. That's just too much. That's just too much. Now that's that's an exact quote. Now there's a reason why I'm telling you all this. They just measured it. They measured it as what? Too much. But too much for who? Too much for whom? Not for Phyllis and I. I said not for Phyllis and I. We enjoyed that house. Man we had people come over. and All kind of things happened for was it five six years we lived in that house. And then the Lord dealt with us to come to Branson. Actually, Phyllis had just received, somebody personally gave her a bunch of cash because she wanted to redo her kitchen in all stainless and all of that stuff. And she did it just in time to leave. (laughs) We came to Branson, had no idea God would deal with us to start a church, wasn't in our thinking Right away, Phyllis looked at some real estate. I was on the road. She said, you need to come see this place. It's seated what, 2,500 or something? 2,200. I thought, what are we going to do with this? She said, I don't know, but the Lord dealt with me. And I'm standing there. Anyhow, we had no congregation. And we had no money. Saved up none in the accounts. We sold our aircraft. And put the money to start that church. Sold the hangar. And put the money to start that church. And sold our house. The house. We paid $325,000 for it. 
Lived in it five years, sold it for $525,000. And after we took care of the debts that we needed to, we gave uh, all of our staff that we had came with us, moved with us from Tulsa. We didn't have extra money in the accounts. We gave personally a thousand to each one of them to help them move. That came out of our house sale. And then the rest of it we put into the church to help start the church. And that's what these people were judging. Can you see that? They had no idea how we got it or how it was going to wind up. It was part of the seed that started this church. And we got to live in a nice place for five years. And the place we left in Mississippi, our trailer, $3,000. Fifteen years later, we get a house worth half a million for $300,000. Can anybody do the math from $3,000 to $300,000? That's a hundred times. In 15 years, so what, what am I, why am I saying all that? Because if the word is true, and if what we're in the ministry about and preaching, if it's right, if it's true, it should show up in your life. People should not be shocked that, hey, they got a nice place. But see, if somebody doesn't even care, makes no effort to even find out how you got it, they don't care about you. They don't care about you. And in talking about envy and judging, you can tell if you're doing it. If you're not excited about your brother's blessing. Is that right? Then no matter how you try to explain it, there's envy going on. And if you want to find fault with it somehow, And criticize it somehow. You don't care about them. You care about it. And maybe you're lusting after it somehow. But here's what what happens. If you judge. Help me out with the rest of it. You will be judged. Whatever measure. You meet by it. That's exactly how your things are going to be measured to you. So when you understand these things, if somebody says, that's just too much. Now, this is really uglier than it even sounds. Too much for who? In the same neighborhood live the owner of a pizza group. They're fine with them. You know what I'm saying? And others and others and others. What are they saying? Too much for us. It's too good for Phyllis and me. It's too big. It's too nice for us. Well, you just told us how little you care about us. And not only are you measuring us that way, you're measuring what we stand for. You're measuring the ministry. Is that right? You're measuring the gospel. Because we're if you'd have given us five minutes and even asked sincerely, we could have told you, we left. We left everything we had. 
Is that right? And was glad to do it. Left it sitting there. And 15 years later, God gave us a hundred times, a hundred times what we left. So too much? Too much for who? Not too much for Keith and Phyllis. See how you measure it won't limit us, but it will limit you. Oh, did you hear that or not? See, people don't realize this. People criticizing you and judging you, they can't limit you. Unless you decide to believe their junk. You're smarter than that. They can't limit you. They can they can say all kind of ugly things about you and accuse you of everything except being a nice fella. But they cannot limit you. But every time they're measuring you and criticizing and judging, they just limited themselves from ever having anything that nice. Come on, that's right, amen. Amen. That's right. And if they ever get mad at God, well, why don't I have this or that? You measured it. You measured it. When you measured them, you measured yourself. So if you're smart, and I'm not preaching to dumb people, if you're smart, when you hear somebody stepping up, when you hear God's done something for people bigger than you, bigger than you, greater than you, further than you. That's what the scripture's talking about when it says esteem each other better than you say. That's what it's talking about. You ought to be even more excited. Is that right? You hear about it and instead of going, oh, that's just too much. That's too, too, yeah, too much for you. Sadly, you just limit, measured and limited and you have been measured and found wanting. And it really is sad because God would do the same thing for you. Is that right? He'd do the same thing for you or bigger or greater if you would measure it right. If you would be glad for them, genuinely glad for them and say, that's wonderful. That's good. I hope they get twice as much. Is that right? And really mean it. Then now you have opened up for the same thing to happen. For you. Stand on your feet, everybody. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.